Maxi Schools, where conversations in maths become part of your professional learning. My name's Leanne McMahon and I'm at Nancy School's Outreach Officer. This is the first episode in Series 4 for Maths Talk in Term 3 of 2020. And in this series, we're going to focus on geometry. Today, we're chatting with our fellow Amsey Schools Outreach Officer, Anna Bock, and also with 2018 Choose Maths Teacher Award winner, Sheila Griffin, about common student and sometimes teacher misconceptions in geometry and how they can be tackled in the maths class in ways that engage kids and really encourage them to think. Hi, Anna and Sheila. Hi, Leanne and Anna. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to catch up with you also, Sheila and Leanne. So Sheila was awarded the 2018 Outstanding Primary Teacher for her efforts around financial literacy and for her work in engaging staff, students and the wider community at Singleton Primary School in Perth with her passion for mathematics. The initiatives she developed and implemented have made a significant difference to the way maths is taught and embedded into the school culture. Sheila, can you fill us in with what you've been up to lately? I've been up to about three main things recently. So part of my role at the Association of Independent Schools of Western Australia, known as ASRA, is to design and deliver professional learning. So due to the current situation with COVID-19, I've been working from home designing new professional learning courses to offer our teachers in Western Australia. Some are going to be one hour courses that I can run after school and some are full day sessions which I'll run at ASWA in the future. One of my other projects is with a school north of Perth on a case study in the early childhood years promoting student engagement through interactive strategies. Last week, I was able to spend a few days at the school touching base with the staff and the students. And it was so exciting and wonderful to see the progress they've made so far. And I'm hoping that we'll wrap up this case study towards the end of the year. And one final fantastic opportunity that I've had very recently is I've been working in collaboration with an author and consultant from Melbourne, Andrea Helbrick, on maths activities for a fiction book that I have chosen called Monkey Puzzle. So Andrea is completing the literacy side and the other aspects of this, and this will be uploaded on her website and blog in August. So yes, so those three main things have kept me very busy. It sounds like it. My colleague Anna has worked as a maths resource officer, numeracy coach, maths learning consultant, and a swag of other things in schools in Victoria. And for the last three years, she's worked with us as an outreach officer in schools in Queensland and in Victoria. Hi, Anna. Would you like to tell us briefly about your roles and your work here at AMSI? and also why the particular interest in geometry within maths education. The roles I've had in the past are focused on school improvement in mathematics teaching and learning and making a difference and having that positive impact on student learning mathematics. And working with students in both primary and secondary classrooms, I've noticed that misconceptions relating to their understandings in the area of geometry exist. So it's about looking at ways to address some of these misconceptions for students. Okay, so we're gonna jump in. And I thought we'd kick off with a quote from an article by Asen Osram called, Misconceptions in Geometry and Suggested Solutions for Seventh Grade Students. We'll pop the link to the article on our website just to get us thinking about why many students struggle with geometry from the get-go. In her conclusion, Osram says, to succeed in geometry learning, it is very important to define objects and their definitions. Students get confused at recognising shapes. To eliminate this problem, the teacher should first make students recognise the shapes, then teach how to rotate the objects mentally to perceive them more clearly. So she's basically saying a big part of the issue is the difficulty many kids have with visualising shapes and objects in their heads. Geometry really does rely on good visualisation skills and practice. How have you seen this done well in classrooms? It's really difficult to visualise shapes and objects 
and to manipulate them without understanding what they look like in terms of their dimensions and their properties. So providing experiences for students to create their own two-dimensional shapes and three-dimensional objects, describing them, naming them, sorting them, defining them, comparing them are some of the ways I've seen teachers develop understandings of geometry with students. And that will support them in being able to visualise once they've had those hands-on experiences. I agree with Anna. Basically, it has to be not worksheet-based. I repeat that, not worksheet based. It really does need to be concrete. It doesn't matter what sort of equipment they're using. Uh, you know, it can be paper, it can be cardboard boxes, pattern blocks, attribute blocks, plasticine, straws, mirrors, protractors, dot paper. And one of my favourite resources is the Multilink. The lessons that are done really well allows students to explore, discover through concrete materials. Let's start with the misconceptions because that's really one of the most important things when we talk about geometry. So what are some common geometric misconceptions for students in the infants and primary years? So those really early years. Often we focus, particularly in the junior years, on identifying shapes and objects according to what they look like. So it looks like a square or it looks like a rectangle without a focus on properties or those features that those shapes and objects may have. So I think that's really important. Without an understanding of properties, I know one misconception I've seen really evident is in classrooms is that whole idea that, well, it's not a triangle, it's an upside down triangle or it's a diamond. Yes. Uh, so they're just some of the misconceptions which I've noticed are really evident in the classroom. And Sheila? Uh, yes, I, I certainly have seen the upside down triangle. Um, I've seen students really recognise a regular hexagon, but they refuse to accept any six-sided polygon is a hexagon. So students need that exposure to regular and irregular shapes and in a variety of orientations. And while I'm on the conversation of orientations, I find that students that with a right angle, they are used to seeing it in the first quadrant. But as soon as that's rotated several times, they will actually call it a left angle. And then, and then with, I've, I've ex, really have experienced that, you know, they would call it a left angle. And then when you've got angles and you've got the long arms of an angle, students will actually, they'll basically use irrelevant pieces of information or they'll apply their measurement knowledge. So they look at the length of the arm of the angle and they'll say that that's the, the big angle and they're actually looking at the length of the arm. So some real misconceptions around that. In the classroom, that's not often an explicit link that's being made. Absolutely, yes. So if they are looking at the properties of the shapes, the basic shapes in the early years, then as they come up through the years and right up to secondary, they can continue to look at properties. I think an understanding of properties gives them a lot of power in terms of understanding that whole like the, the concept area of geometry. And without that understanding, I've worked in some secondary classrooms whereby students were able to name shapes according to appearance, but there was no depth of understanding in terms of those properties. And I'm talking about year eight or nine students, and they haven't moved a great deal in terms of their own understandings in that area. So that's also a concern. So if we do it really well in those junior years, they'll be able to build on those properties as they're moving through, but also move to more of an abstracting level in their understandings and when they're dealing with that secondary curriculum as well. We've really looked at that orientation. How can we avoid that misconception in children? I think to avoid some misconceptions, a lot of it has to come down to the teacher's planning. You know, the teacher needs to look at what is it? So what is the shape? 
then also where is it so what is the location and how does it move and change so the teachers are looking at transformation so I think it has to really be embedded in teachers planning so that teachers give students that opportunity to explore it through the hands-on concrete resources and then they can explore it later on with the ICT resources that are available. Yes and that comes back to teacher knowledge doesn't it? Yes it does. Unfortunately, in a lot of commercially produced materials, the diamond exists in posters and whatnot. And I think even um, in terms of some books, you may see that term being used as well. So, you know, it can be difficult to, depending on the resources you're using, whether it's accurate or not. So, but mathematically, the diamond is not a mathematical term. <laughs> Let's just get that down. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I think I think again that goes back to planning because you know there's so many even just looking at the language of geometry. You know, teachers need to make sure that students understand what chi is, what penta is, what quad is, what octa is. That's so true, Sheila, because we we want them to be able to use that language and use the language of the properties when they're describing or sorting shapes and objects too. Without that language, their understandings can't develop. Absolutely. It also goes back to the teacher's planning to ensure that they're very explicit about the language they're using with the students, because also that language is so important with the properties, like Anna said, but you don't want students going home that saying that they basically were just playing with paper stars. You want them to know what they were doing with those paper stars. They were looking at symmetry. They were looking at reflectional and rotational symmetry. So that language is so important to embed with the planning again for teachers. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. And not making assumptions that the students won't be able to use it. I know even working in junior primary classrooms in the past, students actually love when they learn a new word, a quadrilateral. Mm. And often, you know, and that's, so, that's different than just being taught that it looks like a square. But understanding the features and the properties of a quadrilateral actually allows them to see so many different quadrilaterals in their world as well too. And as Sheila said, the language, quad, what does that mean? Who's seen a quad bike, quadrupeds, that sort of thing. It's, it gives them so much power if they have that language. So true, so true. Just extends right through their literacy too. Now, I recall, again, almost like a who am I looking at the property. Yeah, I think it's called polygon capture. That's it, yes. I think that's it, yeah. I'll put it up on the website. Can you tell us a bit about it, Anna? It looks a little like a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. However, you pick up clues and identify, and the clues give you some ideas about what shape you're looking for, and you have to identify. Mm. Sort of, yes. But it's based on clues. And so those clues are basically the properties. So that leads to this is the sort of polygon that it is. There was a, I played a game with kids once where they had to give me the clues. And I would draw the image based on the clues that they gave me. And I deliberately would draw it, you know, a little bit outside the box so that they had to be very, very clear on the properties. It was a really fun game. Okay, speaking of good games, what are some good tips and games for teachers to make geometry fun and engaging for students? One of the, I wouldn't say it's a tip, and it's a tip stroke game, stroke resource. I really enjoy using pattern blocks with students. One of the reasons I really enjoy using pattern blocks, I think they're very versatile, but it's the only commercial resource that I'm aware of, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that has trapeziums in it. And so students need to understand that actually halving a hexagon 
does give you a trapezium. And several years ago, there was actually a year five NAPLAN sample that actually did have that. It had a picture of a hexagon. It was cut in half. One of the multiple choice answers was trapezium and many, many students across the country got it wrong. So I really enjoy pattern blocks generally, but because they, they do have trapeziums in them, I find that a great resource to use. Another resource that I really like using is a Lazy Susan in the classroom. It's great to put a object or a solid on the Lazy Susan and then rotate it so you can have four children sitting at a table. And you can rotate it 90 degrees or north, east, south, or west. And the students can sketch or they can look and observe or take photographs of each perspective as it turns on the Lazy Susan. So mm. that's a great resource that I like using. That perspective is often comes up in NEPLAN, doesn't it? It certainly does, yes. And then, you know, just really alongside the general capabilities, as much as we can is to make our student learning authentic, the real world context, and certainly uh, geometry in the kitchen, lots of kitchen activities that also link to other aspects of maths, like fractions and measurements. But students can be using slices of bread. They can also do this as a home activity, cut them into halves and they'll get squares or get rectangles, they'll get triangles. Can the students put them back together again? You know, can they sort them? you know, using fruit and vegetables in the kitchen, cutting them in half to explore symmetry, you know, things like oranges, apples, tomatoes, cucumbers are fantastic for this. And one of my other favourite games is barrier games because students then have to really practice geometrical language, geometrical reasoning, and they find this really, really hard and challenging. So I believe as teachers, we really need to give students opportunity to do a lot more barrier games. Yes. Yeah, they're fun too. Very good. They are. Great. You know, yeah. And you can, you can use your pattern blocks, you can use your tangram pieces, you can use lots of different geometry materials to do your barrier games with. They're also good for location. We used to get paddle pop sticks of various colours and one of the students would have to do, arrange the sticks in a certain, you know, however they wanted, but then describe the arrangement to their partner sitting back to back and so you were getting language such as above below a 90 degree angle in the shape of a triangle those sorts of things and there's a couple of other things you know there's like the greedy triangle the book by marilyn burns which is a great book to read and i've also actually used for a year one and year two maths assembly we did a YouTube clip called The Polygon Song. I don't know if you've seen that. The kids absolutely loved it. It's about the square that's really boring. And Dr. Polygon comes along and makes him into a pentagon. And then he's happy for a little while. Then he's not happy as a pentagon. So then he changes to a hexagon and so on. A heptagon, an octagon, an onagon, a decagon. And then he goes back to being a square. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we'll put sure. it on, um, on the podcast notes. That'd yes. be great. Anna, do you want to... Um... I, just that focus on properties, those hands-on experiences... With the hands-on experiences comes the manipulating. So we can look at transformations. We can look at the location of shapes and objects, which in the curriculum, it appears as though they're separate areas. However, we need to be linking them more as well. And then also with the understanding of the word dimension, when we talk about shapes and objects, we often use the terms 2D, 3D without actually exploring the word dimension and then also it's linked to measurement. I know in some classrooms I've worked in, students have often been really surprised in being shown the fact that what dimensions actually look like. So I present it with a dot as being zero dimension and then I know it's probably hard to explain it on a podcast, but stretching dot out and creating a line and then that's your one dimension and that 
dimension is length. So, you know, making that those links as well, stretching that those two points out and now having length and width mm -hmm. and, and there's our area as well. And that's probably when students are working on area, that's why we actually put that two up when we're measuring so that it's square. Yeah. And I know I've had conversations with students. They're not too sure why that two appears. And then with cubed, if we have that square at this stage and if I lift it up and now I'm creating a three-dimensional object that has length, width and height. And that's why when I'm measuring it, I use that number three, that cubed. Mm idea and that's why when we use the terms 2d 3d that understanding of dimension doesn't necessarily come through mm. i think the other word that we really need to look at too is properties i think we, when we're describing these the properties of these shapes right back in those early years that we call them the properties what are the properties of a square what are the properties of a triangle i taught a lot of biology and chemistry and those sorts of things if you understand what a property is you can really expand it and also that one ensure that because students often have that misconception, you know, around the square and the rectangle, and they don't understand why squares actually belong to the bigger set called rectangles. Yes. Well, there are a range of online resources to help with geometry. And there is actually a list of these on the Calculate website. So just by a search of virtual manipulatives in online tools, you'll find the links of quite a number of resources that will help in that teaching of geometry as well. And we'll put them in the podcast notes too. Okay. What about you, Sheila? Well, there's certainly various CAD software available now, the computer-aided design, where students can create their own 3D model. And that helps students with visualisation because they can rotate the object or the solid. And then obviously these software designs now actually have often a 3D printing element. Certainly I've used uh, cameras in the classroom and I think sort of high uh, up the primary school into secondary school now, you know, schools are getting drones. So drones will help with looking at different oh. perspectives and bird's eye view. So I think that's got a place certainly in the future for looking at geometry. There are classroom robots like BeeBots and Edison that are used in the primary school. So they, you know, have simple coding and uh, directional language for the students to become more familiar with. And I'm no expert in this area, but I'm certainly aware of augmented reality. For example, there are apps out there that allow customers to see how a 3D model looks in their home before they can buy. And I certainly know students are starting to use augmented reality in the primary school. So that's also another resource that's obviously that students Students are beginning to use a lot more of but for me personally I've used the National Library of Virtual Manipulatives that have the activities around attribute blocks, pattern blocks, mm. pentominoes etc and recently I've used something called Toy Theatre that's got a few geometry games. I'm aware of Minecraft it's a lot of building round blocks. <laughs> I don't know a lot about Minecraft but I'm aware of it. So Oh the kids do don't worry. <laughs> yeah I know so kids certainly do but there's certainly a variety of programs out there and lots more being developed obviously that students can use to really support their knowledge and their concepts and their skills in geometry. Great. In secondary, we use a lot of something like Desmos or GeoGebra. Those sorts of things can be really handy. I remember doing parallel lines and it was fantastic in GeoGebra because when you moved the cross-sectional line, the angles moved and you could see how the angles changed. And as far as teaching complementary and supplementary angles, it was just terrific. Why is geometry important in the real world? Well, geometry is everywhere and it makes the world of maths very visible for students. And it's important for students to explore those relationships that we already talked about. But students need to look at geometry in their own environment, in the school, in the playground. And it's important for students to actively go searching for shapes and geometry 
geometry in the environment and lead the students to understand what, why geometry is so important. You know, showing them jobs that they may want to go down the route of in the future. If we just talk about a couple of suggestions today, you know, you've got the construction industry where you've got your architects, your builders, your bricklayers. We need our engineers to have geometric principles so that they design safe structures, roads, bridges, tunnels. And geometry is all over art. I mean, there is so much geometry in art. So we want students to discover shapes through even looking at artists like Kadinsky, his paintings on squares and concentric circles. Students can create their own Kadinsky and look at other artists. Oh, what a great idea. Never thought yeah, of yeah. that. I found it really interesting reading a study that had been done on first year engineering students. And they found that the girls had far lower spatial skills than the boys, which is not unusual. But what they did find was that these spatial skills could be taught very, very easily. And those spatial skills come from geometry and come from that rotation of 3D objects and that sort of thing. So I think it's really important to ensure that we're teaching these skills and being very careful to teach it to both boys and girls. I think things are get, certainly getting better in that area. Just to follow up from that, we live in a three-dimensional world. So when students have a lot of experiences in their three-dimensional world from when they're young children, so and they actually come to school with some great understandings of their three-dimensional world. However, as educators, we need to ensure that they keep moving with those understandings. And the research is indicating that there isn't often a lot of movement in those understandings of geometry. When we're looking at three-dimensional, we might get out the sphere or the cone or the cylinder or the cube. But it's more, it has the properties of a rectangular prism. I guess that's probably where we want them to go. That like box of toothpaste has, it's a rectangular prism. If students are also able to make that connection with the square is a special type of rectangle, they would make that connection that it's, oh, that's why it's got that square face on either end. So, and that next step is, as Sheila was saying about engineering, what's the strongest structure? Which parts of that prism are going to be able to carry weight or what shape should our box be in order to be the strongest and that sort of thing? And as Sheila said, one of the things that we need to focus on is no worksheets, no worksheets. It's got to be about the manipulating. It's hard to visualise something if I've not had any experience with holding it and touching it or moving it around this way and that way. Yeah, sometimes we just need those experiences. I can't visualise it if I don't know what it looks like. That's right. Well, on that, we've got quite a few parents and caregivers that listen to the Maths Talk podcast. Sheila, you mentioned cooking earlier. Have you got any other ideas on how to enrich the geometric thinking their children can do at home in their everyday life? I think in their everyday life, they need to look in their home like they would in the school playground, is actually to appreciate the shape in their environment. As soon as they walk into a house, you're walking through a door, you know, you're looking at windows. So there's lots of shapes that you can actually look at just generally in the home. But one of the best places is to actually go into the pantry and raid the pantry and take out some tins or some boxes and parents get their children to sketch what their child can see and then put the cuboid away or the cereal box away and get them to sketch it again because when they don't have that visual in front of them can they visualize it or do they need physically in front of them 
parents can flatten out cereal boxes, the child can draw the net. Can they put the cereal box back together with masking tape? Can they now take the net, cut it out and produce a cuboid? So I feel the pantry and the kitchen and the cooking and the cutting up of vegetables for, for sim- symmetry are perfect things in the home. Mm, definitely. Great ideas here. <laughs> I was also going to say that any opportunity to draw, to describe, to make shapes or objects and using some of that correct language too will support children in their understandings as well. And I think even just going to a walk in the park, do a geometrical neighbourhood walk because you've got road signs. Look at all the different shapes on road signs and also all the geometrical shapes in, in a playground. I think you're right there. Coming back to when I was talking about making geometry so theoretical that it doesn't seem to have any meaning. Now, you can ask a class of year 10s why they're doing trigonometry and they'll look at you with a blank face and they'll say, because you told us to. Because yeah. it's chapter nine in the book and we have to do it when I was teaching year nine and 10, I was really adamant that we had to get out of the classroom. And so one of the things that I used to do, it actually started from making a rocket and sending it up and then trying to work out how high that rocket had gone. And so what we did was from the launch site measured, I think it was 20 meters. I can't really remember, but then we would measure the angle between the rocket and our arms. And if anyone had have seen us, they would have thought we were out there doing Nazi salutes because we were actually trying to measure this angle. We ended up making clinometers and we actually have a an activity on the Calculate website that you can do that. For the first time, and I especially used to find it very difficult to engage the boys in trigonometry. For the first time, I actually managed to engage groups of boys because they were interested to see how high the rocket went. Secondly, when I couldn't make rockets anymore, I'd get one of the boys to throw a ball up and the others to try and work out how high that ball had gone and then swap over. And so they'd have competitions to see who could throw the ball that high. So that idea of this is why we're doing something. This is why geometry is important. You know, we can't climb up and work out how high that's going. And that's one of the things we use in aeronautical engineering and all that sort of stuff. All right. So teachers might be wondering where they can get more information about properties of 2D shapes, 3D objects for their own professional learning. Anna, have you got somewhere where we could go for that information? One great article that I've read in the past is called Properties of Shape and it's by Marge Horn. So that's a nice read and it you know gives you a little bit more understanding of the properties. Another article may be one, it's called Linking the Van Heel Theory to Instruction. So that also addresses those levels that are discussed and will give teachers a greater insight into how they can support their students in the classroom. Mm, that's great. Well, I think that's probably a good place to leave it now. You've been listening to Maths Talk by AMSI. My name's Leanne McMahon. I have with me my colleague Anna Bock and WA educator extraordinaire Sheila Griffin. Today we've been chatting about dealing with common misconceptions in geometry, although I think we got off on a few different tangents there. Thanks for maths talking with us today, Sheila. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. It's great catching up. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and that there's something you can take back and put to work directly with your students or your child at home. The podcast notes from today's episode can be found on the AMSI School's teacher support website, calculate.org.au. And the episode notes will give you some useful links and resources for teachers so you can explore the ideas we've discussed today in more detail. Be sure to check out the Calculate website and other links we provide for further ideas on helping students with geometric understanding. You can follow us on Twitter at AMSI Schools or on Facebook by searching for Choose Maths. 
Tell us, what are some of your student misconceptions that you've observed in geometry teaching and learning practice? And how did you help your students to overcome these? Maths Talk sound recording, production and editing are completed here at the AMSI Schools Unit. Don't forget to subscribe to Maths Talk on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.